it was a bit of a disaster, to be quite honest. I actually remember meeting my mum when she came to collect me from Korea. Like I have a lot of memories from, yeah, when I was with my foster family before I came to Australia. I have a whole host of memories I remember all the way through. So I actually remember coming to Australia. I remember all of it. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. On this episode, I chat with Hannah. Hannah is Australian. That's where she lives, in Australia. And... It was really interesting and insightful for me to hear about her experience as an adoptee in a different country. She does have an Australian accent, so if you're one of those people who loves listening to accents, then I got you. I am one of those people as well. Now, I'm assuming that my entire audience, at least so far, is American, so I hope that you learn something about what it's like being adopted in a different country. That's what we spend the majority of the episode talking about. I had a lot of questions for her about what her experience was like being adopted into a transracial family, looking Asian, and how Australian culture is different to American culture in general, definitely, but also specifically in terms of race and diversity. I hope there's something that you learn and can take away from my conversation with her. Okay, here's the episode. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Hannah. Hey, Liza. Nice to meet you. Well, nice to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah, nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm sorry we kept going back and forth and missing each other a bit. No, that's actually probably totally my fault. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, I mean, this sounds so ignorant, but I didn't realize that I wasn't. I didn't have any idea if Australia had daylight savings time or. No, no, we still have it. <laughs> We've moved them back, but only like half of the East Coast does it, so it's kind of confusing. Like only certain states do it, so yeah, it's sort oh. of all over the shop. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's like eight states or seven states in uh, Australia. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six in a territory. Well, six and two, yeah. Five and two territories. Sorry. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. Awesome. Welcome to the podcast. I sort of wanted to just ask to get us started. What interested you about my project or what about it made you want to participate? So basically, I'm 35 and I mm-hmm. feel like growing up, there was never the resources or, you know, social sort of yeah social resources available to you know be able to share stories and listen to you know other people's experiences and even just to be able to connect with other adopted people it wasn't really available so I think what you're doing is really awesome and it's great just to be able to you know I guess share my experience as well it might be able to help other people or you know it's it's just good Mm -hmm. for us all to share I think yeah that's why sort of I really wanted to I was really interested in talking with you Great. Can you sort of speak to what your interpretation Mm -hmm. of the Asian community 
is like in Australia and then I guess in particular the Asian adoptee community? Mm. So I'm probably not the best example of, you know, being able to really speak for either community. I've sort of grown up away from it all. I've grown up in in sort of really rural area and like I was saying before, I never really had, I mean, I've got a couple of adopted friends. In terms of Asian community, yeah, I think, I don't know about America, but Australia, I feel like everyone Asian, we sort of mix pretty well. Most of the Asian Mm -hmm. communities mix quite well. But that's just from what I've seen, like, you know, with friends who live in the city, you know, that sort of stuff. And so the community that you grew up in, Mm. the more rural area, is it predominantly white? Yeah, predominantly white, yeah. And do you feel like it's a racist community where you live in that sense of being totally white and lacking diversity? Or do you feel like it just kind of happened to be a white town Mm. but people are relatively open-minded and respectful look it's changed a lot since i was young Mm. definitely it was really bad growing up it was really racist it was really out there but these days things are a lot better especially for asian australians i feel i feel like we're not really Mm. the target of that racial sort of sort of vilification or you know being targeted because we're asian so i feel like Mm. that's changed quite a lot in the last you know 20 years (laughs) which is good, but sort of the situation I'm in at the moment, yeah, (laughs) is Mm, sort of mm -hmm. still living in that sort of community, but yeah. And how about in COVID? Have you experienced any specific racial behaviours because of, you know, Trump saying it's the China virus and and whatnot? Yeah, look, I have. There's been a couple of incidents. And look, being able to speak English without an accent Mm. (laughs) helps. I think it you know, it gives me an advantage which other Asian people don't have. But there's definitely been some incidents where I've been basically discriminated against because I was Asian, basically being told to leave a store sort of oh. stuff. I mean, I was in my work uniform. I work at the hospital, so that may have played into it too. But, yeah, there were, there's just been a couple of incidents. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, well done for you for working at a hospital. How did those interactions make you feel about your Asian appearance at least if you will albeit whether you feel you know asian on the inside is is another question Uh, but how did that make you feel in terms of how you look it's sort of because it's a lot of stuff that i experienced growing up it's sort of yeah it's sort of i won't say i'm used to it because i don't think you can ever be used to that sort of you know behavior and attitudes Mm -hmm. from other people it's really frustrating (laughs) yeah you know that i think that was the main thing is the frustration why do you think people act that way towards you? Obviously, it's because they look at you and see an Asian person. But do you? what do you feel about the Australian culture that propagates that sort of behavior? I think there is a real sense of entitlement in Australia <laughs> that, you know, being white Australian gives you a mm-hmm. sense of entitlement over everyone else you know, regardless of how long, you know, your family or your ancestors have lived here. And I just feel like the sort of behaviour really stems from, I don't know, it's, it's almost like a culture of, of sort of blame. It's like us against them. And look, it's not, a, it's not always there. And I, I don't think it's, you know, I can't, I won't say that Australia is a really racist country. There are aspects of it that I find racist, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's predominantly that you're not white or you're white. That's That's pretty much the 
you belong or you don't belong. That's sort of the, the vibe. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, interesting. I would say that it's very much like that in mm. America as well. Although I will go as far as to say that I would, I would, I would essentially say that America is racist, mm. and we certainly have a very racist mm. history in in America. Oh, look, we we do too. Clearly grappling. <laughs> yeah, with that. yeah. But I think I sort of I'm looking at it from a you know on a person level perspective. People don't in in Australia. Mm. I find people don't they're not trying to be racist. It's not mm. that most people aren't actively trying to, you know, create that difference. It's just that, you know, that mindset that they've got. Mm -hmm. But these days I, I don't think it comes from the majority of people doesn't come from a bad place. It's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't have that intention behind it. Okay. Where were you adopted um, South from? South Korea. And do you find are, there are not a lot of South Koreans I am I guess I'm asking in Australia or um, are there? There's a fair few now. There, there wasn't, you know, 10 or so years ago, but there's quite a, quite a large number of Koreans actually in Australia now. You know, mm. there's a fair few, like, communities and stuff. There's, there's one around here near me, but I don't have a lot to do with them. I've had a little bit to do with them, but not a whole lot. <laughs> but, yeah. And I know that the Korean adoption mm. system is fairly fairly well established especially when it comes to other asian countries what have you known about your adoption your birth relatives your the situation in which you were abandoned do you have all those details yeah, or not? so i'm actually really lucky i've actually made contact with my birth mother wow. yeah so basically my parents you know had me out of wedlock they couldn't afford to keep me you know, the shame, mm -hmm. this is, I think the biggest thing that I find with the, I don't know if it's the same in other Asian countries, but the pressure to give up your kids due to shame of having kids out of wedlock. Right. And every adopted Korean person I talk to, or even Korean people I talk to, there's that real pervasive uh, environment of, you know, shaming, like your child's not going to have a good life because they're going to bring shame upon your family, that sort of thing, because, you know, you're not married. Wow, mm, yeah. So, mm -hmm. but basically that's the reason why I was put up for adoption. And, yeah, my birth mother actually contacted me, which is quite rare as well. So I'm really mm. lucky in that respect because it's given me the opportunity to actually be able to sort of, you know, define my adoption experience, you know, and my feelings and actually sort of process it all rather than prior to that I was really struggling right. with, you know, obviously the whole thing and, Basically, yes, that's the reason why I was adopted is I was born out of wedlock. So. And did your birth mother contact you through the agency or did your were you adopted through yeah, an agency? Yeah, so I think it's like one of the big two adoption agencies in Korea. Yeah, so oh, okay. she contacted them and they sent a letter through like Department of Community Services on my end. And, yes, yeah, she basically just sent a letter through and we've sort of you know, had a bit of contact through that way, but we haven't met each other. So when did this happen? If you don't mind my asking, or how um, old were you when you, when you, when the she initial made contact? contact was in, I think around 2005. So I was in my like early twenties, oh, okay. but I didn't, my okay. mum replied, but I didn't reply for years. I think I wasn't mm. ready to, even though it was something I always wanted when it happened, it was just too much. Mm. And I mean, I feel a bit guilty about that because, you know, she's put out, like put herself on the line but I just wasn't ready. And then I've sort of made contact recently. We've had regular-ish sort of contact at the moment through social media. So, mm. yeah. 
Wow. And you kind of mm. touched on it. I was going to ask, did what you imagined in your mind when you would hypothetically mm. think about the possibility of contact being mm. in contact with with your birth relatives was it super different than how you envisioned it or thought it would be and what sort of feelings came up with that you know i know you said guilt and but you know when i'm imagining your mom comes in and she says honey you'll never guess what happened i got an email this morning from you know so and so and in that moment what was going through your head it's funny you know I mean, it was yeah, 10 years well, ago. I think like <laughs> I, my whole life, it's obviously something that you always, well, I've always wished for, you know, just to be able to yeah. put a place on myself in the world, you know, to find my bearings yes, and that definitely. sense of identity and who, you know, who you are, like even just in simply in terms of who you look like, you know what I mean? Yes. Mm. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, that was always a sort of an ongoing thing in my head and something that I couldn't sort of come to terms with because I didn't have any answers. And I think when it happened, it just sounds really dumb, but I just sort of, it scared me. <laughs> it, it oh, was, no, um, of course. That makes it was perfect just sense. Like, I think it was just like, oh, yeah, it was like I'd always wanted it. And then as soon as I got it, I was like, oh, no, I'm in the other direction, you know. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> it did take a while for me to be brave enough to sort of take the jump, take the leap. I think because of all my just wanting it for so long, you know, you put sort of, not expectations, but you have mm-hmm. a, like you said, sort of an idea in your head of what it might be like. But I think more than anything, I was just shocked. I mean, yeah. I'm really grateful because, it, it, like I said, it has given me the opportunity to actually heal through a lot of stuff and, you know, figure out a lot of things in my head, which I didn't have, I wasn't able to do before that. So I think relief, mm-hmm. a lot of it was relief and mm-hmm. actually hearing her story rather than having a made up version in my head or potential you know versions of what had happened yeah yeah so that's so interesting that totally makes sense that you say that I have often wondered about that story and fantasized if you will about you know different reasons Mm. why this scenario may have happened or that scenario may have happened and the only thing I know really about my adoption is the province in China that I was adopted from so knowing that province, I feel comfortable, I guess, coming to some yeah. conclusions, make a yeah. few inferences, but there's still a lot left to wonder about. And I think that's really cool that with other South Koreans mm. that I've talked to who mm. are adopted, the Korean that's the adoption system there seems much more thorough and organized and yeah it's older so it's more established Um, as well i guess the other side of it is though i mean not to be negative but is that production line there was a a lot of have you seen the criticism of the korean adoption system there's been criticism from adoptees and you know i guess from a political perspective about the machine of the korean adoption system and how you know Mm. on a societal level instead of trying to adapt society to you know encouraging women to keep their babies it's keeping you know that uh, money coming you know money coming in from these adoptions Mm. for the country you know it's it's being less about the kids more about the societal and financial sort of benefits of it so there's been Mm -hmm. quite a few outspoken adoptees who want to try and I guess bring it to a halt which to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of gives me mixed emotions about because 
you know, I, I think it definitely adoption is a overwhelmingly positive thing if a mother can't look after their child, yeah. you know, it's rather than being put in an orphanage or just being left. I think, you know, obviously adoption is mm-hmm. the way to go. But, yeah, that there's quite a mm-hmm. bit of controversy about it. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see it from a set of, little bit of a different perspective. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Mm. I hadn't heard that. And, I mean, it makes sense knowing the context, but I personally agree with you. I think that adoption is is a wonderful yeah. thing. And I think for a lot of families, it's an outcome that's ultimately – or it's it's yeah. an option that is – just better sometimes That's for right, all yeah. parties involved. It is interesting though, because I have, I think more recently talked with people mm. who feel differently. I don't know if Australia has this, but November in the United States is oh, Adoption okay. Awareness Month. And a lot of what I have been mm. reading about online in relation to that is the focus of mental health Mm, in adoptees and how mental health disorders are actually much more prevalent in adoptee communities because of all of the in some ways unanswerable Mm. questions that adoption brings up you know who am I what's my identity and some people believe that adoption I guess particularly if it's a closed adoption which I feel like several at least specifically Chinese adoptions are given just the sort of wicked Mm, history the complex history of of China yeah exactly Mm. the complex is a better word the complex history of, of, of the Chinese adoption system and that's really been interesting to me because I have always, as you said, experienced adoption mm. and thought about adoption yeah. in a positive way. And to meet and talk to other people who feel like essentially mm. it's had sort of a negative impact on their lives is quite different than mine. So, so it's from really other adoptees, not from outsiders that are saying, you know, that are against adoption, essentially. Yeah, I don't know mm. if it's that they're against it, but they are against the idea that it s- sort of served them okay. better, if you will. Yeah. They don't know if they trust in that idea that adoption mm. led them to a better life and yep. a better circumstance. I guess they I mean I I'm not I don't want to presume, but I sense that there is some feeling that they're unsure. Yes. There's an uncertainty. Um, look, there. uh, it's funny you say that because I actually had that view when I was younger, and my view about it all mm. has changed a lot. And I think it's just because I am actually at a place now where, like I said, I have my bearings. You know, I'm a bit more, you know, sort of self-actualized. You know, I'm able to sort of figure out all the problems that I've had, and you know, and, and all the thoughts, and I've been able to process a lot of it. And I think that my opinion changed mm-hmm. when I was able to do that. But I think my opinion was sort of tainted by yeah. the bad experiences I've had growing up. And it's not that I'm taking away from the positive yeah. aspects of adoption at all. Like I would never say that it's a bad thing. It's just that mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, like that argument of, you know, benefits, do the benefits outweigh, outweigh the negatives sort of thing in terms of adoption. 
And I mean, I look, I think there are some valid points about mental health. You know, I I have read some studies about, you know, obviously the trauma of being separated from your mother affecting, you know, your your brain plasticity and all of of that sort of stuff. And basically, you know, predisposing us to mental health conditions later on in life. I'm not saying that that's, you know, necessarily going to apply to everyone. It's just interesting that you sort of brought it up because it is something I have, I actually have read as well. But I don't think that's a reason mm. to not continue with adoption. And I, <laughs> you know. Yes, I couldn't have said it better. This podcast is sponsored by, yes, I've decided to keep saying it because one day it will be true. But for now, it's still sponsored by no one. Continuing on with the dog theme from last week, today's pretend sponsor is Furbo, the dog nanny camera. Now, I don't know if I've said this already, but Watson has a couple of behavioral issues, and it gives me peace of mind knowing that I can check on him when I'm gone from anywhere from the Furbo app on my phone. If you don't know what it is or if you haven't seen the commercials, it's essentially like a standalone camera that you can fill with treats and it will dispense treats for you if you like, but I don't really use that feature It also has a speaker so you can talk to your dog through the machine and they'll hear you and come over to the camera. I really only use it to check in on them, make sure they're doing okay. I don't personally use the treat feature or the voice feature, but I know other people who do. But overall, it's been really, really great for me when I'm out running my errands, like going to the grocery store. Or, I mean, I guess I'm not really running that many errands these days, but you get the idea. It has a wide-angle lens, so the field of vision is really good. And the quality is good, too. It's not grainy. You can see in detail, up close, what your dogs are doing. Most of the time when I use it and check on them, my dogs are sleeping, which is great. That's ideally what I want. But, you know, I can sometimes get anxious about whether they're okay or whether they're getting antsy if I've been away too long. And pre-COVID times, I used it a lot when I was hanging out with friends or especially at work as well. And it's just been really nice to have something that allows me to check on their well-being when I'm not home. So if you have a dog or have a pet and you also find yourself sometimes worrying about how they're doing in the house when you're not there, then I would definitely recommend looking into getting a Furbo especially around the holiday time, they can be pretty heavily discounted as well, which makes it the perfect time to buy one. Okay, that's enough about dog products. Back to the show. How were your parents with you in terms of your adoption? Were they really open about it and approachable? Did they always make sure that you felt or did their best, I suppose, to help normalize your experience or is that something um, that you felt they struggled, struggled with? It? They did their best, obviously, and they mm. were always very mm-hmm. vocal about that, you know, I was always their child and no matter what happened, you know, there was no doubt, you know, there was no difference, you know, in between our relationship and, you know, our biological relationship, which is great. And in that respect, they sure, were good yeah. about, you know, vocalising and verbalising it to me. But in terms of actually dealing with me not dealing with it, you know, obviously it would have been difficult for mm-hmm. them too, but yeah, I don't want to criticize my parents. 
it was a bit of a disaster to be quite honest and I think Mm. mainly because it sort of boiled down to they were blaming themselves rather than the situation it was sort of coming back on them and they Mm -hmm. were feeling inadequate as parents so I think there was a lack of wanting to Mm. admit a lot of the problems that were going on and to be able to support me in the right way but also I guess it was the 90s back then you know I think their advice was I don't know about your parents but I think my parents were advised to, you know, basically assimilate them into culture and that's the best way to get children yeah. to adapt to the new environment sort of thing. I mean, but I yeah. actually remember meeting my mum when she came to collect me from Korea. Like I have a lot of memories from, yeah, when wow. I was with my foster family before I came to Australia. I have a whole host of memories I remember all the way through. So I actually remember coming to Australia. I remember all of it. I guess they've never really had to explain about the adoption thing. also because we look completely Mm, different obviously mm -hmm. they're not asian is it sort of traditional to adopt through a through the foster care system as opposed to doing a direct adoption is that usually how adoptions what i understand is that obviously there's the big adoption agencies in korea and you know obviously if you're going to surrender your child you send it to the surrender it to the agency and then they place you with a family until until you're adopted out to australia so I, yeah, I was born in 85 okay. and I had to wait two years to come to Australia just because of all the paperwork on this end. Mm. I was with a foster family, I guess, for a year and a half. I, I'm not too sure about dates, but that's how I understand that, you know, most, most people that I see that are adopted have the same experience of being with a foster family before they come, come out to Australia or America. I'm assuming it's just so the child has somewhere to go because of the time frame and there's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know about in America how hard it is to adopt children, but in Australia they make it really difficult and it can be, you know, years and years of waiting and, you know, paperwork and mm-hmm. approvals and, you know, it's a very expensive process as well. Is that the same for you mm. guys? Well, it certainly is an expensive process and I think that something something that isn't talked about as much is how it's essentially something that mm-hmm. is only afforded yep. to privileged people of a certain wealth class. And I don't think it's a coincidence that almost all of the adoptees that I talk to are sort of adopted yeah. by middle yeah. to upper class families because it is such an expensive process. But I think the waiting periods are slightly yeah. shorter if yep. it's a domestic adoption. I've heard sort of a range from mm-hmm. from you know a handful of months to a few years more it's quite rare comparatively to for a chinese adoptee to know yeah. a lot of their yeah. birth family history because it was just one of those things where similar to being mm-hmm. born out of wedlock it was yeah. very taboo for chinese women to give birth and surrender their their babies and so they would do it in secret they would do it you know so that there was no way that you could trace that child or that adoption Mm. back to the mother and a lot of the other Chinese adopted girls that I know will all of our stories you know sound sort of similar it's it you know we were Mm, we were left on the steps of a hospital or a police station with you know in a basket with sort of yeah. a name tag yeah. and that's that's essentially it so yeah no it but it does mm. it does take a long time are you an oh, only yeah. child my parents did try to adopt another mm. child 
but it sort of oh. actually coincided oh. with new legislation that they'd brought in to actually prevent a large age gap between children and parents. Australia brought in a, a sort of legislation wow. saying that there wasn't to be a larger than a 40-year-old age gap between parents and children in adoptions. So they actually took that away like two years later, but mm. it was sort of too late then. My parents, you know, didn't want to do it then because mm. my, my dad's 40 years older than me. So, oh, wow. it, you know, they were like, oh, it's, we're going to be too old sort uh -huh. of thing. <laughs> Yeah. So that's interesting that Australia sort of, well, I guess I suppose at least acknowledged well, it in a way. They actually took it away because they found it was actually discriminatory, you mm -hmm. know, and it was stopping a lot of parents who would have been good parents, mm. you know, the opportunity to actually participate, you know, and actually, you know, adopt a child. That's, of course. Yeah, that's why I'm an only sibling. I mean, I'm an only child, sorry. <laughs> 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 no, that's okay. And how have you enjoyed being an only? Have oh, you no, enjoyed growing it. up? And you know, I was always in trouble. So I, I just thought, oh, if I had a brother or sister, you know, it could have just taken the heat off me, heat, the heat and the expectation of me. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yes. Have you got siblings? No, I also am an only child, mm. and I also hated it. Yeah. I always felt really lonely. And it was weird. It was weird ha feeling like my yeah, primary hey. friends were my <laughs> parents' friends. <laughs> but you obviously can have. You can, I guess, in theory, you could ask. I'm my I'm my mum's only child, apparently. So, mm. Mm. and being in contact with your birth mother and you know being able to reach out, how has that changed your feelings of ever? needing her in the future or yes. you know so at the um, moment I'm trying to communicate without being able to speak Korean ah so I could speak Korean when I left Korea obviously it was only kitty Korean but you know so that in that respect that's sort of frustrating mm. because it's making my ability to actually say what I want to say especially in this situation where I really want to make sure that I'm communicating you know properly it's sort of added a bit of uh, fun to that situation yeah. <laughs> I guess I feel lucky that I can be in contact with her, but I probably should have done it in a more official mm -hmm. sort of way. I kind of did it on like a Korean sort of social media thing, like a chat thing. So she just sort of sends oh. me like little meme things. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like little cute pictures and stuff. And yeah, that makes sense because the, the yeah, communication and then I'm is kind essentially of like, through the image, not the text. Like, you know, you're sort of trying to use Google Translate. Mm. I'm like, oh, God. So, yeah. <laughs> oh wow it becomes a stressful thing for me like because I'm like oh my god what am I actually saying to her what if I'm saying? you know what I mean uh -huh. like, oh. <laughs> I, I don't even know what I how what I would do especially no. because if you're not you know video chatting or something you can't yeah, so you can't use thing. your body language I mean I, I do so. want to meet her but obviously COVID be tough. but I think once you know we can travel and stuff again I do want to meet her that, that would be good yeah if I can yeah so I don't know in relation mm. to, as you just mentioned, COVID mm. and being in Australia and being adopted, I feel like overall, globally, the trend has been that mm. adoption is becoming more popular as, you yeah. know, women sort of stay in their careers longer and people are living longer in general and can therefore mm. decide to have children later in life, perhaps beyond your body's yeah. ability to have biological children. 
Do you feel like adoption is normalized in any way in Australia? And I guess mm. what does that e- what does that phrase even mean to you? And if it's not normalized, what would you like to see? I think it's not uh, a rarity, and it's not a you know not like a I wouldn't say a freak show because you know but you know how everyone sort of looks. You know, people have mistaken me for my like my dad's like girlfriend. I'm like. Are you serious? You know, just that's gross. Like, stop it. You know, it's just uh, stuff like that. You know, it still happens, mm-hmm, but it's it's mm-hmm. more common for people to see, you know, mixed race families now than it was. And you know, it's just. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I would like to see people not commenting, but like feeling like they have the right or the need to comment on other people's families, even if they think it's nice. Because mm-hmm. it's sort of trivialising. I feel like it's trivialising mm-hmm. the adoptees, I guess, you know, self-identity in the sense that we're just a product of, you know, we should be grateful to our parents. That dialogue that the grateful adoptee, you know, and yeah. we should be, that our experience doesn't, yes. is framed by that being grateful, like, because that really pisses me off. Like, because so many people are very mm-hmm. vocal about it. You know, once you say you're adopted, yeah. or they ask why you know your English is so good or blah, 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 you know, those sort of questions. But I would like to see, you know, people just sort of stepping back and, and it's just another family, you know, being normalised to the stage where people don't think they have the right to mm-hmm. make comments and, and have really have any stick their nose in anyone else's business, you know, that would be nice. It doesn't help. <laughs> I believe that, you know, the things that you say really shape your frame of mind as well and having to say it in a way that yeah. you don't like, you know, and that you're not, you don't feel like accurately represents that relationship or lack of, I don't know, you know, I don't think that's a good thing either, like, you know, mm-hmm. it, like saying saying something that's that you're not comfortable with. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's healthy either, like having to do that. I feel like, you know, we're living in, you know, 2020. I'm sure you've met people of Asian descent with Australian accents. Like they've been here since 1800s. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not like it's not such a we- like really mm-hmm. it, like yes, people are, you know, I guess you're a product of what you're exposed to. But at the same time, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> mm. You know, like head towards like any city, and it's like yeah, you know, like. Everyone, mostly, well, 50% of people, you know, mm-hmm. will have, will, will sound like me, but look like me. It's not such a rarity yeah. these days. It ends up in a conversation about mm. why I was adopted. And I feel like that's such a, I feel like, you know, what gives you the right to actually ask me that? Because yes, like, it, what if it's a really sensitive topic? What if I don't know? What if, you know, you're putting me through the, basically through the trauma of having to, you know, the, the mini trauma of having to relive it, explain it and justify <laughs> it to you. And then justify it to myself, you know, yeah. every single time that you discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, that like people yes. think they have the right to, for yes. answers from you when, you know, really it's none of their business. <laughs> There's a real pervasive sense of mm-hmm. having to portray your life in a particular way where, you know, if you actually speak out and give your opinions mm. a lot of the time, uh, maybe it's different, you know, in your experience. I've just found it really hard to relate to a lot of adoptees because they aren't willing to be open about their experiences and yeah, they would rather just say, yeah, no, I'm good, I'm lucky, I'm adopted, and then that's, you know, 
no, nothing bad happens. You know, and it's it's that, which is fine, and that, that they're totally welcome to do that. But I can't yeah. relate to that because a, I'm not that kind of person. But b, you know, if I'm searching out this community to try and yeah. connect with, I'm not going to waste my time with people that, you know, why would I pour my heart out? You know. <laughs> To, to sort of just be like, people be like, eh, well, I've, I've never experienced that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So that sort of dismissal of, you know, like of your true mm-hmm. feelings and experiences, like it's sort of, it's nice to actually, you know, yeah. be able to share, like even, you know, thanks for having me on. But <laughs> like it's been really good to actually just even share because I feel like I haven't even had a platform oh, yeah. really ever in my life where I've been able to be 100% brutally honest without worrying about you know saying this or that because worrying mm-hmm. about the way it comes across against my parents or you know people thinking I'm being negative or people not understanding you know it, mm-hmm. it's just been mm-hmm. a really yeah thank you for like you know letting me mm-hmm. you know discuss you know all this sort of stuff with you because it's been really good I, I've really enjoyed it oh good yeah talking with you has been lovely I I will let you get to sleep but this has been so great really interesting <laughs> It's really awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk again, I'm sure. All right. Thanks, Liza. Bye. Okay, that is the end of the episode and my conversation with Hannah. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. And again, I hope you also learned something new about a different culture and a different country than the one that you live in. My question for the week is, you know, it's we're coming up on a new year. And hopefully it'll be a year without COVID at some point. But for now, while we're still all doing our part and being responsible and being safe, I find myself fantasizing about different worlds that don't have COVID that I could live in. So my question is, if you could pick any made-up world or universe to live in, which one would you choose and why? Head on over to the I'm Adopted.podcast Instagram feed, and let me know in the comments. I'm intrigued to see what people suggest because I really have no clue. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.